Welcome to Powers Court's Friday Fix, our weekly look at a big emerging issue. I'm Mark Leffley, Head of Public Affairs at Powers Court, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Baroness Nikki Morgan. Nikki is one of the country's best-known politicians, having previously been Education and Culture Secretary. Now Nikki chairs the House of Lords Digital Fraud Committee, which is examining how billions of pounds are lost in the UK economy because of cybercrime. Nikki, it's delightful to have you today. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I find this fascinating, this committee that you're chairing now. I was looking at the notes on the committee website, and it suggests that around 80% of reported fraud is now cyber-enabled. How can that possibly be the case? Well, I think obviously we're all living our lives online, aren't we? Uh, Much more than we perhaps ever thought that we would do. And of course, the UK is, I think, probably, uh, if not a world leader, I mean, that's what we've got to be out there in terms of things like online banking. So we all expect our money to whiz around uh, the system more. We're all buying things online. You know, we're all using our, our emails. And what's really interesting about some of the stats, you might think it would be older internet users who would be more vulnerable to online fraud. But actually, it's often younger people, perhaps because they're not asking the questions or perhaps not, not sceptical enough when they get an email. And one of the things that we're also discovering, I think we knew this, but I mean, it's really interesting hearing the evidence, obviously, is the role of the telecoms companies. Because if you think, actually, an awful lot of the messages that we get that encourage us to go and check for a parcel delivery or check our credit card actually come via text messages on our phones. Of course, there's WhatsApp as well. So people are being, I mean, it's just the, the, the channels for the way that people are defrauded of their money are extraordinary and varied and growing. And I'm assuming that given that we've lived so much of our lives digitally over the last couple of years because of COVID, that must be a reason for the increase. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I think one of the things, again, we're covering in the committee is there's a need for more education. There's a big debate around the online safety bill that's coming to Parliament as well about uh, digital literacy. But we all just need to remember to be sceptical about when we get a phone call that's pretend to be from our bank or somebody from a credit card company, or somebody saying, actually, um, there's a Royal Mail parcel waiting, you know, you owe £2, click here. But actually, there are people, bad actors out there, who are waiting to defraud us, as I say, of our our money. Um, Maybe small amounts, it may be absolutely life-changing amounts. And I think sometimes there's a perception this is a victimless crime, but actually, this can be completely devastating for people who transfer tens of thousands of pounds and lose everything. So what's the worst instances that you've heard of so far? Well, I think it is where people have been duped into transferring, you know, often tens of thousands of pounds. People have lost their their homes, for example, because they borrowed money. And I think one of the worst ones are perhaps the romance scams. So there's been a programme recently, hasn't there, the Tinder swindler, because people invest themselves emotionally in thinking they've met somebody online, uh, thinking they're having a relationship with this person. And then what happens is the person says, oh, actually, I've got this problem. I need money or I've been arrested or, um, you know, I, I owe money to these bad people and they're going to take me away if I, if I don't pay. Can you start transferring money? It starts off with small amounts and gets worse. When I was an MP, I had a constituent who was affected by this um, who really wanted to help, actually, when she realised what had happened. But often it takes quite a while for, for the banks or others to do what they call break the spell, the spell that this scammer, this fraudster, has over the individual who thinks they've fallen in love with somebody uh, and are doing the right thing and helping them bail them out financially and then find that they've lost everything and they have no relationship at all. Your committee has some really big hitters in, um, will be yesterday by the time this podcast comes out, but Mm. you had the um, directors from the Financial Conduct Authority, Ofcom and the Bank of England. Were there any major revelations? Well, I think what was interesting was they backed up really what we've heard elsewhere, I suppose, uh, the importance of the forthcoming online safety bill, 
the fact that the tech platforms obviously are major enablers of uh, things like investment scans and fraudulent advertising. To be fair, some like Google actually are working with the Financial Conduct Authority. Others like Meta, Facebook are obviously taking uh, a bit longer to, uh, to, to get there. I, I think the, the fraud or the economic crime landscape is really confusing. So there's lots of different bodies. And one of the things we'll be quizzing ministers about when they come before us at the end of June is, you know, why are there so many bodies, so many different groups and task force and everything else? But also, I think the lack of, it's not willingness by the police, but I think the scale of fraud is so enormous. I mean, fraud accounts for 42% of all crime against individuals. It's the most commonly experienced crime in England and Wales. And there were 5.1 million fraud offences in the year ending September 2021. That's an increase of 36% on the previous year. I mean, you know, that's something that the police just don't have the resources to cover. And they were talking about the importance of the National Economic Crime Centre, for example. And the Bank of England was saying, I mean, we were talking particularly about crypto to them, which obviously is a really growing area of interest. At the moment, they wouldn't consider fraud necessarily to be an issue of financial stability. But if it carries on growing, then I think there's a real danger that it obviously affects and erodes people's confidence in our financial system. Now, you mentioned you've got uh, ministers coming in at mm. the end of next month. Uh, that sounds like it'd be quite a blockbuster showdown. Who will you have? <laughs> well, uh, we, we would love to have the Home Secretary, but I think she may it'll be a little bit busy. So I think we're going to have the excellent uh, Damien Hines. And I think we will also have um, a minister from the uh, Ministry of Justice as well. Not quite sure who yet. I mean, I think more broadly, and I'm sure perhaps you've covered this on, on previous podcasts, ministers themselves often don't mind appearing in front of select committees. You know, obviously, they're often their colleagues as well in Parliament who are asking the questions. I think I'd be fair in saying that some of the officials in their departments regard it as a good thing to keep their ministers out of the clutches of select committees. Um, you know, there's always a danger that your minister is going to say something a little too interesting, perhaps, or a little too revealing before a select committee. So often we have a little battle. And obviously, I used to chair the House of Commons Treasury Select Committee. And we definitely had a battle there about getting uh, the right ministers in front of us. I remember actually having a conversation when I did a previous economic crime report and a minister was very keen to appear, but his officials were very much not keen that he should appear. So there was, there was, we we won. (laughs) (laughs) It's a moment in the sun, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. I've been a witness before. I've done twice. I've done as education secretary for the education committee and I've done it before the culture secretary, it was culture secretary for the culture committee. You know, they are quite adrenaline inducing moments, but they're important. And I think the select committee system is one of the great unsung heroes, if you like, of our current parliament that, that works incredibly well. So we actually do quite a lot of uh, select committee training and it's it's fascinating how nervous people are about them. But yeah. actually, once you realise all you need to do is really explain yourself quite clearly, coherently, maybe don't quite uh, react to some of the people who are looking at trying to get their arguments onto social media. It's actually quite an enjoyable experience. It's quite a challenge. Absolutely. And I think, obviously, it depends on the type of witness you are. I mean, I think ministers know, and as you say, you know, it's a moment of sunlight, but um, they know they're going to maybe get a hard time, particularly if there's a policy area that's gone wrong. But I think for a lot of other people, people should realise that actually what the select committees really want is just good evidence. They want they want the benefit of people's expertise and opinions and thoughts. And that just makes a huge difference in bringing reports to life and making sure that actually we really reflect what's going on in the country, in the committee's recommendations that are then put to government. And government have to respond to the recommendations. Now, a lot of our listeners won't be aware of this, but in Parliament itself, you are unquestionably, and I'm not just saying it's one of the most popular politicians that I know of, when I used to work for Vince Cable and sort of the Lib Dems, but more for him, I had a number of senior Lib Dem MPs who said, Nicky's really one of us. And I'm perfectly aware that lots of Labour uh, MPs feel the same. Are you really a Tory? (laughs) 
Oh, I'm, I am definitely a, a, a conservative. Absolutely. Um, I joined the Conservative Party when I was 16. Why am I a conservative? Because I believe in the very much in the power of individuals. And I think that actually we uh, should enable individuals to live the best life that they can, flourish as, as, as individuals. But also, I think we um, can build strong societies t- together as, um, as individuals. So, you know, uh, that's very nice to hear. I really value my friendships and contacts across all the political spectrum. And particularly, actually, it works really well in the House of Lords, where obviously you have a number of crossbench peers as well. Um, but uh, no, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I am definitely a conservative. So I, I will let uh, Alistair Carmichael and Ed Davey know that you're not about to defect. Um, <laughs> Nikki, it's been it's been lovely to have you here, and thank you for joining us today and explaining this really important issue to our listeners out there. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and we'll be back after the Jubilee weekend. Thank you. <laughs>